Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs, and I'm so glad to be here with you today. The music in the background, as you know, is from our buddy Dave Barnes. I hope you will check out his new album. It is one of my very favorites and so fun for the summer. My friend that we have on the show today, I have been trying. We've been trying for a couple of months to get her on the show. You probably know of her. Her name is Kate Bowler. She is an author and a professor. She's just incredible. Her most recent book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. It's just incredible. So many of y'all read it when we did our survey um, in May. So many of you said, have Kate Bowler on the show. And I wanted to tell you like, she's coming, she's coming. And so her book came out in February and it's just done incredible. It's so honest. It's so um, personal and it's really beautiful about suffering and in her life, her She has been diagnosed with stage four cancer and has been through a ton and is just a treat to talk to. I think you are going to absolutely love this conversation. And the interesting thing that is true is that everyone is suffering in some way or another. She, in fact, you'll hear Kate say there are no suffering Olympics. There's no gold medal for suffering the most. Um, But I think you will all connect with her like I did on, on what do you do with your pain? And um, she does a beautiful job leading us and teaching us not only in her book, but in this conversation. So I hope you enjoy this time with our friend, Kate Bowler. Okay. Have we been in the same place? Yes. Remind me. I thought so too, because I was looking, I was stalking through your Instagram today. I was like, wait, I've been with her. Yeah. Um, It was backstage uh, in the green room, which is to say a locker room. (laughs) Thank you very much. And it was in Asheville, maybe? Kate, and you were writing a book. Yes. About on, women. Yes, which I have not yet published, because otherwise you would have seen my right, <laughs> thought. Right, right. You're like, otherwise I would have blown you up and told you, it told everybody exactly what a <laughs> Yahoo you are. I totally thought that. When I saw you, I was like, wait, this is the girl that I talked to when we were in like Asheville, North Carolina, maybe. Yes, yes, yes. And it was the women of something. Some there's women. Yes, it was one of the women. Yeah, yeah. Women kept doing things, and (laughs) we were were happy about it in some way. Because that's what you were studying at Duke, correct? Yes, totally. So that was my second academic project. Like the first one was the Prosperity Gospel. Yes, and then the second one was something I've been calling the Preacher's Wife which is about sort of women in celebrity in the marketplace. And I'm supposed to come out with it next year, but like, it's just been a weird year. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) To be sure. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it. So, okay. I'm going to go into this. Like our friends don't know anything though. A lot of our friends, I mean, Kate, it's so fun because I guess we, uh, during the month of May, we released a survey and we said, who are the people that you want to see on that sounds fun that you haven't seen yet. And so many people said you, And we're all like, everybody's settled down. It's already coming. Like Everybody (laughs) just take a deep breath. We've been trying all year. We want her on the show too. Um, Okay, so back up. Can you just do like a a quick recap of your story and kind of how you got here just for the three people who don't know your background? Oh, uh, sure. My name is Kate Bowler. I am, I don't know, every Canadian feels like they need to like bring that in. Yeah, that's great. Nope, I love it. Um, so yeah, I am a historian. Like right now I am sitting in my little neo-Gothic tower, even though I put up moose peel and stick wallpaper for dignity. Oh, I love it. And I, um, yeah, so I'm a history 
uh, just professor, and I wrote a book uh, called Blessed, A History of the American Prosperity Gospel, which means that for 10 years, I ran around interviewing megachurch pastors and televangelists and people with beautiful hair about what it means to expect everything from God. So health and wealth and happiness and like every healing crusade and, you know, financial rally. And then two years ago, I got a phone call at my office that said that I had stage four cancer and like everything. And you were already married with kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, married, married my high school sweetheart and finally had a son, which I was like, oh, it was just such tough going. So I felt like I'd finally kind of gotten everything together. And then, I mean, there's no cancer in my family, so it never even crossed my mind that it was possible. And then everything came apart really quickly. So all of a sudden, I probably wasn't supposed to live through the year, and all odds are awful. And so I I just started reflecting theologically and personally out of a sense of really intense despair. Like, what did I, honestly, like, what did I think my life was going to amount to? And and as I kept working on it, I kept thinking like, man, maybe all along, I was more of a believer in the prosperity gospel than I thought. So that's kind of where, that's kind of where the like, everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. (laughs) Right. Oh, the subtitle is my favorite part and other lies I've loved. I'm like, yes, we do not hate that idea. No, we really don't. Everything happens for a reason is a beautiful idea, but it's a lie. Well, I mean, and such a great hope, right? That every good thing comes back to you like a boomerang and, (laughs) and you want it when your life is hard. Like you just want to have a sense, like nothing is lost. I'm not going backwards. I'm, I'm finding my way forwards. And then suddenly when you're stuck with something you can't earn your way out of, then you realize like, oh, this probably wasn't as true as I hoped it would be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, I think an interesting thing, we're just going to dive in if that's okay, Kate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An interesting thing is uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had someone on the show, my friend Harvest Bashta, who's a worship leader. And one of the biggest responses we got was, thank you for having someone on talking about suffering. Yeah. Like, because I do, I'm an Enneagram 7, and so I tend to not talk about pain and suffering as much as I, I mean, as much as I feel it <laughs> and as much as it is true. So will you talk a little bit, something I um, like to say from stage a lot is that everyone wants something they don't have. And when you get the thing you want, you end up just wanting more. You, you aren't done wanting. What has been your experience when you got all the things you wanted and then you got cancer? Oh man, I think that's a perfect description though, because of want Cause it's a hunger and like some of hungers are good, right? Like it points us towards things we should have. But like, that was the worst part about cancer is I looked at my family and I felt like I was just starving to death. Like I was never going to get enough time with them. I was never going to get enough. And especially when you're looking at a little kid and you're thinking like, a kids are all about milestones, right? They're all about next birthday, growth heights, like and then you think like this will never be enough. You're gonna want forever, and that was really, that was really hard to like get my brain around. Is that is that I could live my whole life never feeling full, 
And some of that is just being alive. And some of that is just like hunger is driven by the things you love. And thank God, some of the things I love are good. Right, (laughs) right. Things are less awesome. Um, But like, it helps me think about like, when I think about God, it does help me think in terms of hunger and full and what it takes to feel full. Well, sometimes I I wonder, because when I was in the hospital, the weirdest part about how awful it was, was that it really didn't feel quite so awful because somehow God was there. And like, I wonder sometimes if in the worst moments, when we think we will just surely starve to death from the things we want so badly, that the Holy Spirit just kind of fills in the gaps and makes us feel full. One of my very favorite books, um, When Breath Becomes Air, Paul, at the very end, he says, he uses the word sated. Like there's a, there's a feeling of fullness he gets. And I asked his wife, I was like, do you think maybe that's the gift we get? Like, that's the big hope that like, it's not about forcing ourselves to pretend we're not hungry. It's just about knowing that like, when there's a really terrible gap that like we, God is the God of the gaps, you know, and, and knows how to fill it in. And that's, that's kind of my, that's my big hope. It really is. Do you know, I think that is a beautiful way to say it because there's this thinking, especially so in, you know, you know me, we're friends, but um, being single and not having kids yet, not being married, not having kids. A lot of people say um, when you're content, God will give you what you want. And so it's almost like oh, you're being told, no. like, uh, right, that's one of the lies that we love, right? But the thing oh is, like, gosh. it's the worst, uh, because then what we're actually saying to people is, if you will stop pretending to be hungry, God will feed you. Stop it. You're totally And it's like, right. no, no, tell the world you are hungry. Oh, my gosh. Be yes. okay with being hungry for whatever you want, whether it's healing or for God to provide for you or a change in your life place. Like, when we pretend like we are not hungry is not the time that God provides. <laughs> No, it's not. And that's another way of saying that uh, singleness is about testing and you're being tested. And I get that stuff all the time as someone with cancer. Like I'm always supposed to be learning important moral lessons and like growing and being terribly inspirational. Oh man, I watched a video of you talking about that of like, so my job now is to be very inspired by you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Kate Fuller, I like you, girl. (laughs) I mean, like, And I think part of it just comes out of people's discomfort when they look at something they can't fix. Like they look at their friends and people they love and they think, you know, what you really need is perspective, Mm -hmm. which I will now share with you. Right. Which I have in my (laughs) non-cancerous state. (laughs) Exactly. Or the promise that in every circumstance, God will always fill it in if you'll just learn this lesson. Mm. And like, I'm really done with lessons because like the the best spiritual experiences I've ever had was when I didn't presume that like my horrible circumstances were trying to teach me anything, but I did open myself up to like, okay, but how is God here anyway? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And what did you figure out? Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe mostly that I have to lower my standards. (laughs) What do you mean? If that lower your standards and like of what you expect God's going to show up like? Okay. Weirdly enough, not lower standards for God, which has like somehow increased where I now sort of expect that when things are hard, I'm like, Oh God, you're definitely going to be here for that. Like that you would never miss that part. Right. And I do think that's partly why I feel less afraid sometimes about like, you know, death or like, you know, suffering or whatever is because I had an experience in which 
like, thank you, Jesus. I didn't feel alone, but the lowered expectations is for other people. <laughs> like, like I, I just realized like, I'm a super basic person. I need people to drive me to the airport or to the hospital. I love your terrible casserole. I would love to have a Starbucks order that is like, I love Target. You know, like I'm just basic and accepting my basicness and lowering my standards means I'm more likely to be happy. Yes. <laughs> I know. totally get it. So I asked Twitter today, I said, I was talking to you and I said, what would you like me to ask? And one of the questions is kind of along the same lines. Mallory Lamb says, um, she just finished your book and she's curious how your faith or theology shifted if it did since being diagnosed with cancer. And what did you learn about God in your diagnosis? She also wants you to know she loved the part of the book of what to say and not to say to people who are suffering. Well, that's sweet. Thanks. Well, I think the biggest shift was away from certainty because I think I before like my <laughs> my mom will hate me for telling this but like my mom was converted from a pamphlet like like she was in her university and someone gave her a pamphlet oh my gosh she's one of the reasons tracks existed <laughs> totally like someone somewhere is like I need to produce more pamphlets but like she really did and she thought like wow these are strong truth statements and they seem true and I am and and she was convinced in part by the sheer like simplicity of certainty. And I think there's like a place for certainty in our walk of faith where it's like, we accept certain things as true, no matter what, you know, like, like the resurrection of Jesus, which I am for. Um, But like in other ways, I've been so much more comfortable now in the ambiguity that something like suffering creates, like my suffering and anyone's suffering, it always creates it creates a problem. It creates a problem because we have to somehow explain why God would let it happen to anybody. And in the ambiguity of that, like the why me, how is this not fair? This is maybe it's not fair for me, but you're definitely screwing over my family, like, et cetera, et cetera. They're just, it requires a really high tolerance for not knowing and moving more into that ambiguity. I'm, I'm kind of happier and happier with with the not knowing and just being able to say like my faith is is less defined by pamphlets and more defined by a deep hope that even if I can't muster certainty that that God'll figure it out. Man, I think that's such a beautiful um idea. I, I something my counselor pushes me on all the time is mystery and the importance of mystery. Do you feel like I feel like the longer I've done this faith walk, the less I have the right answers. <laughs> And the more life has me asking questions. And if I was dependent upon the right answers, I don't know that I could still be in this thing. Yeah. Yeah. The right answers, meaning the explanation for why things happen, how they happen and that kind of thing. Not the Jesus right answers. He is. Yeah, 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 sure. We will not immediately slip into relativism. That's right. That's right. That's right. Do you think it like having a high tolerance for ambiguity, right? Doesn't preclude feeling grounded in other truths, but it does like, it really does free you up to be more generous, I think, to... With what? Your time or your money or what? Yeah, I guess like, and to other people's uncertainty. Like I, because the weirdest part about being sick was, I mean, because before I was just like a person, I wasn't a person with like an asterisk beside their name where... Like I met like someone I met this morning, I was like, oh, hey, it's really good to see you. And then I saw them turn to talk to their spouse. And I know what they're saying in that second, you know, like I was Mm. never someone that had to be explained before. And that's like, that's 
I've never like been a problem, like just a problem to be solved, you know, or something just to have like a little disclaimer about. And it's being this person makes me have other kinds of hopes for other people who feel like their problems to be solved, you know, their limitations, their circumstances. I just feel a lot more, I guess, generosity toward people who feel like they never get to be typical. (laughs) So yeah, I kind of opened my heart to that, I guess. Can we do a spoiler alert and say, what's your health like right now? Sure. I mean, I'm I'm kind of in limbo, I guess. I'm in, or for all the Catholics out there, purgatory. Which I still <laughs> sort of what up, Catholics? I hope y'all are out there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, well, because it's a place in between. You know, I've got scans and then I have to have the time between scans. You know, I've got another scan in two weeks. And so, of course, the week before, I'll, I'll just kind of feel a little sick and just like anxious, I mean, and then hope that the scans will come back okay. And then I'll get another kind of lease. And so I'm definitely in a sort of rent to own (laughs) plan with my um, body right now. But I, I try to treat it like, like intervals that, that free me up. Like I, I march to the edge of my four months And then I take a deep breath and then I try to figure out like, okay, like I can do a lot in four months. What's this next four months going to be about? And that's how long you have every time. Like they kind of go, I mean, is the cancer always there? Yeah. I mean, it's just a weird, we're kind of at a weird place in, I'm hoping like the history of cancer right now, but where, where people are trying to move into cancer as a durable illness model, kind of like HIV. Oh, like you can just live with cancer have cancer. And so because before cancer could really only be met with like chemo radiation surgery, like things that try to like cut it out or kill it. The assumption being that it's always growing with this new class of immunotherapies, which are pretty restricted to certain people that have really, really, like really restricted by cancer and by type and blah, blah, blah. It's more of a durable illness model is the hope. But all the drugs are so young that really nobody knows. We just know that like I'm on these intervals, everybody's taking a deep breath, and then we have hopes, and then we try it again. So I'm an experimental model for sure. What made you choose to do that over radiation, chemo, like the traditional path? There wasn't really a choice. It was really? just, yeah, no, it was just dying or trying this. So no kidding. Yeah, no, it was, it was so bad that it was, this was the only, this was the only, but then this has kept you alive for years. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not long in this treatment. Annie, I'm not alive, alive. (laughs) I'm just alive. (laughs) That's how the pause came across. (laughs) I mean, it's not been, it's just not been very long. It's everything feels like a long time in cancer world, I guess, but it's really not been very long at all. Like when you look at cancer, do you look at it as this is what has created something in me? This is what's killing something in me? This is what's changing me? What What is cancer to you? No, I mean, cancer, I decided really early on that cancer was absolutely not going to define my life. Had a girl. So I just decided it was going to take up as small a space as possible. And that's possible for other people in like, depending on all kinds of circumstances. But that's been the thing I like really set my mind to. So, I mean, like if you see me in my regular life, I like rarely talk about it. I, you know, I just try to have my real life take up 
almost all the space and this is reduced to as much of an inconvenience as I can make it. And sometimes cancer, because the thing is, this, like any other tragedy, it wants everything. It wants all your money, all your time, all your relationships. It wants you to entirely redefine yourself based on this thing that you didn't choose. And I was like, so I just decided I was going to take up as much real estate as I could. Oh, that's beautiful. That's really well done. Yeah. So in your real life, this isn't a thing you talk about just when you talk about your book. (laughs) No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, and that's partly the weird privacy of writing. Like, I wrote this because I didn't realize how hard it was as a sick person to say most of the things I really thought and believed out loud because it sounded too, it either sounded too ugly or it sounded like a lack of faith or, you know, there's, or mostly because it made other people anxious and sad and I just didn't want to upset people. So I mostly wrote it down partly to protect the people I love. And also then I realized hopefully as a conversation with other people like me who feel like there's this whole interior world um, in which it's hard to give suffering the right language. So that's kind of been the hope for the book is that this is a language, like a conversation around suffering that even I didn't almost feel comfortable having. Yeah. In the book, you've done this thing where you have made it super accessible to suffer. Whereas I think so many people try to tell us we're not allowed to suffer or whatever your thing is, isn't sufferable. Like you shouldn't, compared to that, you shouldn't feel that. Compared to that, you shouldn't feel that. And you kind of do this really nice job of going like, no, there's none of that. You are suffering. And so if you're suffering and you don't know words around it, me too. (laughs) Oh, well, thanks so much for saying it. Because I really hope to like, I mean, thankfully, not everybody has stage four cancer. And I would never want someone to look at my situation and feel like they weren't allowed to like have their thing. And that's partly why in a way I don't talk about cancer as much in my real life is like, I want my friends to talk about their stupid days and you know, their annoying bosses and their anything, right? Because like we all have our stuff. And it's just, it's just that at a very like broad cultural level, we find that there's just so few words for us to to describe our problems without either mm. having to blame ourselves or sound like whiners. Right. And so I'm just grateful when everybody gets to say, like, this was a tough day, you know. And it feels like only the king of the hill gives everyone on the hill permission to do that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right? I'm honored to be the king of the hill on this Yeah, one. that's it. I mean, really, There's only... no tragedy Olympics, I promise. That's like, right. No that's right. Yeah, I mean... That's exactly right. The only time I feel a little crazy is like, <laughs> I think I'm, it's like when people immediately want to tell me that it's not nearly as badass. And you are kidding me. People say that. Oh, to all, yeah, constantly. And so, you know, for instance, like now I get to have scans every four months instead of every three. And so, right. Three month scan people will be like, well, <laughs> you know, like, well, I, yeah, I have to get them every three. Right. And oh. all friends, like there's room for all of us to just be like muddling through and making the world gentler for each other. Because unfortunately, like some people are lucky and some people are unlucky and we just get to take turns and all share. One of the things I love about you and one of the reasons for this line of questioning is there's a couple of things that I've seen happen to my friends who get diagnoses of this nature, where there's some who go like, 
I went skydiving. I went <laughs> Rocky Mountain climbing. You know, like there's some people who do this, like here's the 84 things I've always wanted to do with my life because this is the thing that has stepped in and made me decide that I'm going to do them. Yeah. And then there's people who kind of go, okay, but I'm just going to keep living my life. How did you decide? And have you had like riding a bull named Fu Manchu moments yeah. when you got this diagnosis that says it could change the f- your future from how you thought it was going to be? Yeah. I mean, that the, I, this is always tricky is like when someone gives you, you know, like all the language of prognosis, like you have this percent chance of, of like living this year, all of it sends you into this really weird math. Like, okay, well, with this amount of time, like, how am I actually supposed to live my life? And the problem is, like, with most of life, like, most of the, like, little bits of intimacy and friendships and whatever and loving family relationships, it's mostly about really stupid stuff. It's Mm -hmm. about, like, you know, that friend that keeps, you know, annoying you on Facebook or, like, and so sometimes when you end up, like, rushing after the cosmic things, like, I've always wanted to see the pyramids, which I have, always want to see the pyramids, not yet seen. And like, but then you also just don't want to miss like the beauty of all the stupidities of every day. And so you kind of find you have to like swing back and forth. Like you have to be really intentional about what you want to do. So you don't miss it, but then stay grounded enough to actually listen to your friends when they're in a super long rant on the phone. And honestly, like switching back and forth between those two things, I do find my brain gets caught sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, what I care about in my life that I shouldn't care about. What's something that you've learned? Like Annie, that is stupid. And I don't care about that anymore. I love this. Okay. Um, things I don't care about. Uh, yeah, I guess. So I'm a two with a three wing. Okay. <laughs> You're very helpful in a little bossy. I like oh, it. I am so helpful. I will die of empathy. Dude, That's I've had, awesome. I, I need to do some science experiments around thing, around how I have had so many twos and threes on the show this spring. Oh, seriously? Yes. I've had a billion threes. I wonder if, and like no ones, I'm like, where are the ones at? <laughs> do they not do, or am I not friends with any ones? <laughs> I guess three makes sense. They were born to shine. Yeah, that's I'm right. I'm like born to look really guilty about not helping somebody. And, <laughs> um, so yeah, things I don't care about anymore. I care a lot less about being acceptable to people and trying to make myself small. Mm. Well, that was a real habit. Um, and so like like the book, for example, oh man, it was so, it was so hard for me. It was so hard for me to like grow into being like, okay, I think I... I think I want to, first of all, I think I want to write something, even though I'm pretty sure I'm going to be terrible at it because writing historically is not the same thing as using I. It's just right, not. Right. And I thought like, this is going to go badly. And so I've been trying to like sin bravely. So I like went out into a field in rural Minnesota in Collegeville, which has this lovely little writing retreat. And to the sounds, I swear to you, of outdoor xylophones. Oh my gosh. There was this like outdoor what? xylophone band camp. I cried for 10 days straight and just like tried to write this. For sure. So I was like, this is going to be terrible. So yeah, I don't care as much. And I wrote it with like such hope that like whatever it was, I can just be brave. So yeah, I care less about other people's opinions in that sense. I care. Do you think that's because of what... I mean, do you feel like that was the turning point was going like, I've got cancer. I'm not going to oh, care. Yeah. No one has time for that mess. You yeah, know, I yeah. just literally might not have time for it. So I yes. just decided not to. I realized that I actually have like a bunch of friends that I love and probably need to spend less time like on Facebook 
for something. So oh, come on with I that. I do less. Like, I do less sort of like, like more mediated relationships and more like, please, let's just go on a hike. I mean, that's the question. If you, I'm not diagnosing or prognosing anyone, you or I or anyone else. But if someone said to me, Annie, you've got six months left on this planet. How will you treat your phone? <laughs> I'd oh, be like, yeah. throw it in the ocean and let me just hug my friends. <laughs> oh, it's a vortex. It's like this weird vortex. And it like reflects back to you a version of yourself. that's like kind of uh-huh. you, kind of not you. So yeah, yeah. I, I do stuff. It's weird to say it this way, but I kind of try to do stuff that makes me feel real. Like not like durable, like feet on the ground, like a little bit of wind in my hair, kind of real. So yeah. I'm outside a lot more because it makes me feel real. I'm I try to see friends and family more because that makes me feel well normal. As and well. how many kids do y'all have now? Just one, one human. Just one, your son, okay. Yeah, one human. And I take I do take trips that are a little bit more geared toward fun. At a girl, look at you! You got a little seven in you. What we do? Oh, I love seven. Sevens are my Thanks. favorite. You know, twos and sevens really love each other. Oh, I can it's see really that. true, because um, sevens always want someone to be helping them and taking care of them, and so twos do that, even if it's just like I'll drive or or <laughs> let me open that package of ketchup for you or let me answer that question. And twos love sevens because we make you feel lighter and like you're like, you aren't carrying the weight of the world. I love that. That's so true. Yeah. And like the people who bring the fun, those are my favorite people. Uh-huh. Like people who want to have long, intimate coffees about how horrible my life is less. So, you know, uh-huh. like I just, like I totally get the, I get the desire is for intimacy and connection. And I get that they're just trying to love me, but I sort of prefer to go like zip lining or, yeah, yeah. you know, like barbecue or something like that. So I'm doing more of that, I guess, which sounds, yeah, it just feels like, no, I've really got to get on with the business of living. So I'm just going to real quick interrupt this fun conversation and tell you about my friends over at Prep Dish. You've heard me talk about them before. If you have listened to the show before, but Prep Dish is a great way to save time and be efficient in the kitchen. Eat healthy. You know me. I'm gluten-free, dairy-free. And so this is a great way to have those kind of meals that are real foods only. But you can also, if you eat dairy, if you eat gluten, if you eat all the things, they have that for you too. It's a stress-free, really tasty meals. And the owner, Allison, who I adore, is offering my friends, you guys, a free two-week trial of Prep Dish, which is awesome. You can try it for free for two weeks. This is like a no-brainer. Just go to prepdish.com slash Annie. And if you ever need to use a code, just use my first name, A-N-N-I-E, in all caps. So Prep Dish is like a meal planning service. So every week you get an email with a grocery list and a prep ahead instructions so that all of your meals are ready for the week. There's no guesswork needed. You can let Prep Dish do all the planning for you. You don't even have to think about it, which is great for me because I'm just busy. It's not that I don't like cooking. I'm just busy and I have a crazy schedule and this is such a time saver for me. So after only like an hour, maybe a little bit more of prepping on the weekend, I have all my meals ready for the entire week. So um, make sure you go and try Prep Dish. I mean, why not try it for free for two weeks, right? PrepDish.com slash Annie. And your first two weeks are free. Again, that's PrepDish.com slash Annie. I have been thinking about you this morning and thinking about this conversation. And I was like, I wonder what she would tell me to do differently. Oh, I love being bossy. It's my three wing. That's what okay. I'm saying. So that's why I was like, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Oh, and what you. I'm doing okay. Right. I'd love to be bossy with you. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Tell me about Annie's life. Tell me. But you are. I mean, you are saying to me, like, put your feet on the ground and get outside and 
do, you know, but also sevens are more inclined to like live in the moment. So, but I do love the idea of you telling me what I'm doing wrong. But from the stuff I know about you, I mean, you've been really, you're really good at your growing edges, which I really admire. Like I've just, I think you're really good at like seeing the whole of things and like trying to make a good plan. So that mm. seems like that's just a good, that's a, to also continue Okay. the story. Um, Cause sometimes people like they're so big picture that like when they get something like my situation, they kind of have to like, they don't even like, they didn't even like put any of the building blocks in place at all. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that does not sound like you at all. But you're well, you're welcome to keep watching my life and saying, you know, <laughs> that. that'd be really fun on Twitter. It's like, that guy's super judgy. If you want yeah. Like, they were like, Kate Fuller always tells Annie what to do. You're like, no, 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 no. Annie told her to. Annie said, well, tell me what to do. I think your seven impulses are good for this. For a stage like this, it's a good impulse. Like live your life, always be making plans, always, always, always. Then like, just make sure that all the building blocks, actually, I would say, because sevens don't like the not fun stuff, just That's in right. case, the thing that I did have to do right away, which I did even like from the hospital is like, I needed to make sure that every hard conversation that needed to happen, happened. So oh. like the people where they didn't know how much I loved them, I made sure like we had the eye contact talk or yeah. the people like the friends I truly love where I was like, oh man, you need to move on with your life. Like we, we had all the hard talks. So hard talks feel like it kind of like clears the ground for a bit. And that was, that was a good season. And I'm really grateful that just the beautiful gift of oxy in the hospital yeah yeah uh, there was so much on drugs that i was incredibly bossy with anyone who came to visit me right <laughs> i've had two conversations last week that were both really painful and i had to initiate both of them oh. and in both conversations the other person said i'm really glad you did this because we've been needing to have this conversation i was like you're a monster <laughs> you knew <laughs> why did you make me do this <laughs> <laughs> but you're, I mean, I think that's one of the areas that I really have my therapist has pushed me, but I've also just felt really pushed to like time stamp or no time stamp on our story. We all have a time stamp on our story, but known time stamp or non known time stamp. What if we just had the hard conversations we needed to have? Yeah. What if we right. just talked to people that we were hurt by or hurt with, or we had hurt or needed to know that we love them. Say the brave thing and tell someone you love them if you aren't sure what they're going to say back. Yeah, that's right. I do think that because like I didn't realize till I got sick how easy it is to get stuck in mm -hmm. your life. Like, mm -hmm. The momentum of our lives. Wow. They just like they just keep going. And it's it's really hard to mark a before and an after in your life. And like mine was one I didn't pick. But certainly ever since I've been I've been, I've been forced to be way more deliberate. So for instance, if I'm making like a really stupid mistake, I kind of feel the cost of it sooner. Oh, wow. Cause I don't like, I don't always have the physical stamina or blah, blah, blah. But like my overworking, oh man, like everybody had to have an intervention with me because all my faults are kind of more exaggerated now. And I'm not like thrilled by that. Is it because people are watching you more closely? Yeah, maybe. I never was like so, you know, I, maybe, yes. Also just cancer forced me to say I'm limited and I can't waste this. Mm. And so I feel like everybody maybe needs a minute where they say I'm limited and I can't waste this. Well, listen, 
Kate Bowler. That'll preach right there, sister. <laughs> I am limited and I can't waste this. I mean, that, I feel like I'm about to take a Sharpie and write that on my office wall. <laughs> I'm limited and I can't waste this. Yeah. Do you know the musical Wicked? I do. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that's like such a big switch in the lyrical parts of the songs when they start singing. She starts out singing Unlimited and then she switches to I'm Limited. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I did not love that lesson. That was one of my big, like, lies I've loved discoveries. Like, I have truly loved the I Am Unlimited lie. Yeah. I just cannot get enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can squeeze me as long as you're going to squeeze me, and I'm still going to have something to let out. (laughs) And that is not true. I did really appreciate um, Present Over Perfect for that reason. Yes. I read it maybe not long after I got out of the hospital, and I thought, like, this is a good manifesto of, of, like, accepting being limited because that's a tough, that's just a tough transition. And the interesting thing about that book and Shauna Nikos, who wrote it is you can read that book and then watch Shauna's life for about six months online. And she's doing it. Like she wasn't just telling us what to do and then has gone back to this way of life that wasn't life giving for her. She has remained like, no, this is terrible. And I, I can act like this is like, I can handle everything and I can't. And I'm not going back to that life. Well, that gets back to the question of hunger that you brought up. Like we can just be hungry forever. And like, that's the weird thing about life. And also just like life in a first world country is things around us will always make us feel so hungry that we'll think, well, I'm not complete with that, that like, well, now that I know what anthropology is like, surely like now I need all those clothes. And like, just, it could be any stupid thing from like a relationship we want and don't have. Like, for instance, one of the problems I have a lot is, um, all my friends move. I'll make someone, I'll start to need them and then they move away and then I'm lonely and then I feel like a complete loser. And then I'm like a little bit jealous of people who just like have their bestie and watch Legally Blonde, you know? And it's always easy to feel just constantly hungry and so good to just like define limits where we say like, this is what it would feel like to just feel a little fuller. What comes to your mind that you have done to feel fuller? I'm trying to be more intentional about like, like for my birthday, my birthday's next month. And like, I'm like really grateful to be alive. And, yeah. you know, before I think I just would have thought like, I want sunglasses. Or <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and now I think like, wouldn't it be nice just to take a minute to like, thank the people who like actually really helped me get through this year. Mm. And just so everybody knows, like, I don't take this lightly. And what this is, is this is the life we're making together. How old will you be this summer? 38. Okay. Me too. Oh my gosh. What day is your birthday? On uh, June 16th. <gasps> You're like a month older than me. So <laughs> I'm July 7th, but we were so in the same grade, class of 98. Um, yeah, absolutely. For Which sure. means that when we were 10, we had the same laser light photo. Uh, thank you. A thousand percent we did. <laughs> yes. A thousand percent we did. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really great year for, I mean, your birthday is really soon. Actually, this podcast comes out, um, June 28th. So your birthday will have just passed, but we're recording right before that. Your birthday is coming so soon. Then I will promise, I will promise future self when I listen to it, that I will actually written those letters. Oh my gosh. I, you're holding yourself accountable right now. This is my time capsule. That's right. <laughs> time capsule. Cause like, I just feel like this year, what it means is I should thank the people who make a difference in my life and then make sure I've invested in them this year mm. so that that keeps growing. Cause otherwise, like I just find with work and with life and with whatever, you can just kind of float. 
and nothing marked time. And like people, people is what helps me mark time. Yeah. I learned maybe eight or nine years ago when I moved here to Nashville, I went to a girl's birthday party. And when we walked in, she had a note for every person at the party. And it was, yeah, every person she'd invited to her birthday party, she wrote a thank you note for what they had meant to her that year of her life. And I, I haven't been consistent about it every year, but the year I turned 30, I went to breakfast with like eight girls that morning and I wrote them all because I had watched my friend Rachel do it. And I was like, man, that now listen, I love my birthday, Kate, and I love (laughs) celebrating it. And we all go, we all do something big and fun and all the things, but I also love like, man, I get to unashamedly celebrate the people who make my life the place I want to be. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think there's, there's just something about the way that community can help us like tell the story of who we are. Yeah. And in this last bit, like it's been really overwhelming. Like who am I? I I know I just don't want to be cancer. Right. So then what else? Like that's not a full story. And so, because every time something bad would happen, I would, I, th- I was always asking myself, like, did I lose something? Like, did I lose a part of who I am? Because because every part of my life wasn't the same anymore. It was like really small and largely hospital bound, and for like quite a while, and like really really quiet. And yeah. I couldn't. I was like far away from a lot of the people that I think of as defining me. And, and so like I needed people to just like pop up and be like this is who you are. And you are defined yeah. in part by the way that I love you. And yeah. I can say, thank God for that. Yeah. So everyone listening has some sort of area in their life where they are suffering currently. It's just the nature of being a person. Some are in the very dark middle of the suffering and some are on the fringes or some have feel a little bit fuller today because of something they've stepped into. But what do you know about suffering and what could you say to someone who's like, just needs to know something today from you about suffering? I mean, I think the first thing is always like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Yeah. Cause I, I was like, just so hoping that just the universe would pop up with some kind of apology. And then it just did. <laughs> right. and, and I didn't realize how much I needed someone to just say like, I am so sorry that happened to you. Yeah. And the next, I guess is, is just a gentleness you know, with yourself about finding this middle ground between, you know, people just want to say like, everything is possible, or they want to say nothing is possible. And for someone who's going through something awful, like both are are really exhausting thoughts. And so I've, I've taken a lot of hope in always asking myself like, okay, everything is not possible, but that doesn't mean I'm just going to go lie down other than to take a nap, which I deserve. Yeah. But like, what is possible today? Yeah. And just being gentle enough to kind of suss out like that little bit of traction, that little bit of runway to like maybe make the tough medical call I need, but then also like, you know, like sit down in front of Netflix and just take a beat. And so, yeah, I just say like, try to be gentle and just try to figure out like what is possible today. So here's how I'd like to respond to you. Number one, I am really sorry about this. I am. I am. I am sorry. This is the conversation we're having. So I thank you for permission to tell you that I'm sorry because I am sorry. Secondly, have you watched The Crown on Netflix? 
No, I want to. You I really want to. to. You okay. need to. If you need to like sit, that is a good use of your time. <laughs> that is a, when you feel limited and you need a Netflix binge, the two seasons of, because I just keep telling myself it's a documentary, Kate, and it's not. <laughs> and there's no way someone could have been in the bedroom with Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip, but I feel like they did. No. They yeah. Know. And as a Canadian and someone who's seen the Queen twice drive by on her on her highway oh. in, in Winnipeg. Yeah. As part of the Commonwealth. I feel connected to her. So yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to feel good about it. So here's the thing I've never done, written a book on singleness, right? <laughs> like I haven't in a lot of ways, though our sufferings are very different and our pains are different and our concerns are different and all the things. In a lot of ways, I, I work really hard to keep the painful parts of my life small. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And so I just have so much respect for you working really hard to keep the painful parts of your life small so that you can live a full life, but also acknowledging them to the degree that we all get to learn from you. Oh, thanks, Annie. And so that just means a lot to me and it really it really challenges me on uh, being, making sure I'm using my time wisely while I'm, while I'm limited and um, while I'm running out of time. I want to make sure I'm doing that well. So I'm really grateful for your writing and just for you as a human. Aw, thanks, friend. I appreciate that. I mean it. Um, what did you feel when Bill Gates told everyone to read your book? Oh my gosh, I lost my mind. Okay, look, here's the deal. It was like really nice that he said it, but also there was this video where um, all the characters in the books were played by puppies. Oh yeah, I know, I saw it. It was fantastic. So like, this is the, this is what like totally pushed me over the edge. It's like every good thing in my life has been great, but nothing in comparison to like this little dog wearing like a surgical cone, like he couldn't, you right. know, like cone theme, and then like a little hospital gown. Oh man, I'm like wheeled on a gurney. Right. That was officially like other than, you know, the miracle of life that is my son. And I'm so grateful yeah. for my friends and husband. Like that was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so we actually talked about you on um, the relevant podcast. Um, and so you will hear it if you go back and listen to the show from Wednesday, uh, May 30th. My question was this, how did Bill Gates find your book? Well, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I have no idea, but I do know that the Gates Foundation is really involved in like immunotherapy and medical research. So like maybe, maybe they just have their eye out for medical stuff. Yeah. They're led by this amazing doctor. So I don't know, maybe it was something there. Um, also, cause like the only medical stuff that I ever write about is when I was um, on the same chemo schedule as Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my and he was like down the hall. And that was like the peak part of my week is watching um, the his security team like uh -huh. bustle by at top speed. Yeah. So I, like now that my deepest dream, which is clearly being played by Puppy, has been achieved. The second clearly will be to thank Jimmy Carter for making my life. Like, right. So interesting every Did you like get to talk to him? He's so wonderful. Oh my gosh, man. I just gaze into his eyes. As a non-American, I, I still feel like, you know, I just want to thank everybody for doing things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in a world where you hadn't written a book about suffering and you weren't um, living with cancer and what are three things we would have talked about as well? Oh, um, <laughs> I am a terrible liar, man. That'd be a bad conversation. Um, I don't know. Um, 
I used to play cello. Okay. Oh, I love that. Do you know I love classical music? I'm like a major French horn fan. Oh, really? That's an awesome yes. and super nerdy choice. Thank I you. It's. All, I mean, it is, to be fair, it is the brass companion to the cello. <laughs> I never thought of them as friends. I'm just so glad you didn't say the oboe, which is my least favorite instrument. Oh, no. I don't know how they make that sound out of that. I can't with that. I can't with woodwinds in general. I just, me and woodwinds never, I'm not impressed with a saxophone. I think an oboe (laughs) is shaped weird. Yeah. No, no, no. But a cello and a French horn, they hold the same tones. Yes. That's so true. You know, there's a real elegance. I'm really glad that you brought that up. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So we would have talked about our mutual love for the classical music. How long did you play? Uh, From when I was six to like when I was uh, through college. (gasps) Oh my gosh. You're like a for real cellist. Well, okay. But here's the thing. I'm like really, really desperate to pass on my secret crazy, right? I feel like when I look at my son, I'm just not admitting that I have so much crazy locked deep inside about uh-huh. like wanting to teach him things, yes. but like, so also so much, um, equal and opposite fear of not ruining him for having a social uh-huh. life uh-huh. Uh-huh. because as children, like we all brought Beethoven, you know, for, um, show and tell. And it did not like endure us, endure us. Um, so, but like, I really want to get him cello lessons, but when they're that little, that means you get like a V. Yola with a stick on the end. That's true. And I just think that's, that's true. the cutest thing ever. It is so, so cute. And like a guy who grows up to play in an orchestra or something is gets way cooler. Or not. And I'd be okay with that. As okay long as he, yeah, the trick is he, as long as he is doing what he loves to do, people think it's cool. Yeah. If fun. you're really doing what you love, people think you're cool. There's nothing cool about me wearing silly nail polish that matches my book covers, but I think it's cool. And so everybody else buys in. Okay. Other alternative theory though, is that it has to be paired with something that is legitimately cool such that it's enhanced. For instance, cello plus parkour, just a thought. There we have it. There we have it. I can, yeah, I can get behind that. I can get behind that. If you pair it with the wrong thing, like when I was little, I really wanted to be the first singing cellist. like while I was oh and then my I gosh, was, that would have been beautiful not a super popular option and then yeah so it had to be cello plus yeah okay okay so we did talked about that what else would we have talked about oh I would have gone on and on about growing up among Mennonites and how they love cheese and how cheap they are probably. oh my gosh and how they make great cinnamon rolls yeah they're they're really good they're really good in the uh but most of their like um pastries are made in dangerous ways, which I think is hilarious. I don't even know what you mean, but I need you to tell me everything. They're like, look, we need to make this pastry, but we also need to deep fry it. Let's get like (laughs) 200 pounds of canola oil (laughs) and like basically attach a rocket to it outside. And that's cooking it. This is a terrible idea, but I watch them do it every summer and I love it. Okay. So you grew up around Mennonites, but y'all aren't Mennonites. Uh, yeah, Tobin's Mennonite. I I went to a Mennonite church all my life. Oh, so. okay. I'm just not ethnically Mennonite, which means I don't have the Mennonite last name, like the secret handshake pass. Right, right. But greatest moment, second to puppydom um, this year was there's this awesome website called the Daily Bonnet that just makes like Mennonite jokes. Yeah. Which I love. And I got to be like a quiz answer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like only for Manitoba Mennonites, which is hysterical. So I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm so terrified of the day that a comedian or a website or a someone makes me the answer to a quiz. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, okay. What's our third topic we would have discussed? 
lately I go to this gym where I get yelled at, um, like people do one arm pushups and I'm really uncoordinated. So I fall out of, I'm so enthralled by people like leaping around with like 40. Is it like a CrossFit? It's a boot camp kind of thing. Okay. And I do it before I'm awake. And so sometimes I'll like, it'll occur to me that I'm like trying desperately to do a burpee and failing. And it's like, I have not yet fully. It's a weird experience. Why are you going? Why are you doing this to yourself? I don't know. I don't know. I need to be, I don't know. I need to say things like my body is a temple. Okay, sure. That's the right Christian answer for sure. (laughs) Is it or is it just so self-righteous? Yeah. No, no, no. no. I'm into it. I have no idea. I'm just going because it makes me laugh and I think the people there are awesome. Okay. Yeah. It would have been boring, but that's what I would have said. No, I would. I that's why we why I want us to go there because that's I'm like, what else would we have talked about? If we were getting coffee, we'd have talked about sad things for a, a good chunk of time, and then we'd have been like, but also, like the cello and the French horn were born to be friends. Yeah, they were. Yes, exactly. Tell me what you're reading right now. Oh man, I just finished Educated by Tara Westover. Uh huh. It's so good. I know you read because you're like a real academic. You're like a Lauren Winner kind of academic. <laughs> I love books. But this one is like, it's this gorgeous memoir. And it's it's also with um, Random House. And I kind of feel like we're book sisters because we both had the same editor who was working on our books at the same time. Uh-huh. So when I read it, I think like, oh, this is who you were cheating on me with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, it's so good. She's like this, like grew up Mormon survivalist. And like, she ended up going to Cambridge and she has this like she just talks about what it feels like to have the world open up and simultaneously close in and it's Mm. like everyone should read it it's so good okay and then the last question we always ask is what sounds fun to you right now what is fun for you oh man okay um yeah i'm planning a canada day theme party okay what is, I'm sorry, I don't know what Canada Day is. I'm okay. so sorry. It's the greatest of all days because it's four days before America Day. It's okay. July 1st. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, it's July 1st. And um, we have like a fireworks display in Winnipeg, which is uh, second only to basically everything across the border in North Dakota, okay. <laughs> like four days later. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to have to do it on the road this year because we're heading out in our like camper trailer thing for like a big trip. You and your husband and your son? Yeah. We're just going to like see if we hate it. And I hope we don't. <laughs> oh, that I have a dream in my heart to do a cross country. My family and I, uh, one year, my parents and I and my sisters, we wanted to like, drive across the country and try all the best barbecue places. Oh, yeah. So where are y'all driving? Y'all are driving up there? Yeah, we're going to go like we're going to go um, basically around the Great Lakes, like entirely around the Great Lakes. <gasps> that is so cool. It's going to be a lot of camper. So whatever yeah. that is, is going to be something. How old is your son? He's four. Oh, so he's delighted great. to be anywhere, but also surprised. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, no kidding. I'm exactly the same way. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. oh my gosh. We're here. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. This again. I feel like two adults and a four-year-old in a camper is like exactly the right amount of people and age. There should be no more people in that square footage. No, 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 no. Not for not to go around the entire Great Lakes. (laughs) Yeah, it will rob us of all privacy, but hopefully not our humanity will scale. Yeah, that's right. What made y'all decide to do that? Yeah, it's kind of always been a dream for my husband because he always went and did these big adventures camping, and I just love the idea of like stopping at every stupid little place and doing. I love like world's largest, world's smallest. Oh, me too, Kate. We should travel together at some point. And just find all these things. 
I'm into it. Like if you want to go see the world's largest ball of twine with me or the, yes. like the last large thing I saw, I think I saw the world's both largest and smallest Paul Bunyan. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I was like, great. The small one was very small. So I would yeah. have a thousand percent been into all of that. I most in a few years ago found the tallest cake in Rhode Island. It was 16 layers. Shut it. I mean, Kate, we seriously were, we're a cello and a French horn. That's what we are. <laughs> I'm honored. I'm <laughs> As am I. I'm honored for you to be the cello <laughs> to my French horn. Friend, thanks for being on the show. Oh my goodness. I would love to see you and get a London fog. Oh, right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, You're at Duke, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Next time I'm out that way, if y'all drive this way, you just holler. Okay. Just drive until you see what looks like a castle and stop and I'll be in one of the towers. Okay. I'll look for you. I'll look for you. <laughs> um, I really, I think of you often and I'll pray and I, I don't know what you need from a friend from far away, but I'm sorry and I'm uh, grateful for you. Oh, thank you so much. Man, I um, think she's amazing. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Make sure you grab a copy of Everything Happens for a Reason by Kate. It is just a great... Um, you know how you have some of those books that you read a bunch of times because you love it and you have other books that you read once and then you give it to somebody or you give it away and then you have other books that you read and then you like, I need this on my shelf. Um, I don't know when I'll pick it up again, but I know I will. That's Everything Happens for a Reason for me is the book that I have read once and then I know I need sitting on my shelf for when I want to pick it up again. So make sure you grab a copy of that and make sure you tell Kate thanks for being on the show. It's so fun and so grateful. And you can wish her happy birthday because her birthday was two weeks ago. So hey, if you need anything else from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. It's Annie F. Downs. F is in French horn. I mean, I'm going to have to take lessons again. Someone was telling me just the other day I need to take lessons. But um, I'm going to have to get back to it with as much as I'm talking about these days. But Annie F. Downs and Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere you need me. We are on about day 30-ish, 33-ish of the 100 Days to Brave summer. It is not too late to jump in. We aren't doing anything official. We're just, if you want to start on day 33, come all on day 33 and finish with us all the way to day 100 on September 4th. You can go to 100daystobrave.com or just go look at the hashtag 100 Days to Brave Summer and you can see everybody posting about it and sharing and learning from each other. It's been beautiful and incredibly fun. And I um, am sitting here thinking about Kate and uh, about that conversation. And I hope that you will um, go home today remembering the same things I'm remembering that I'm limited and I don't want to waste anything. So I'm going to really think about that today. So go out there and really today do something that sounds fun to you, something that makes you feel real, something that makes you feel grounded, hug somebody you love, have a hard conversation. Um, do the right next thing. No matter what diagnosis you are living with, no matter what suffering you are experiencing, um, you can do something today to remind yourself that you're not wasting anything. So go out and do something fun. Okay. Y'all have a great day and I will see you next week. <laughs>